We must know that we have no righteousness upon which to stand before God. And so when we come to the end of ourselves, and when we embrace humility, the floodgates of God's grace are opened up to us. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. Please turn in your Bibles uh, to the book of Philippians, uh, chapter 2, and uh, we're going to begin reading with verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found as the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death even the death on the cross. Some of you are aware of the fact that in a former life, I was uh, for 14 years pastor of a small church in rural Kentucky. And one of the difficult aspects of that ministry was trying to find new material for my sermons at Christmas. I found myself uh, using the same passages over and over and often saying the same things each year. And I believe that I was getting in a rut. And so I was thinking about this one year and I came to, to pray and I asked God that if he, if he would give me one new perspective on Christmas each year. And I wanted it to be something that not only I could use, but something that I could pass on to others as well. Well, this year in my quest for a new perspective, I have found it in the understanding of the true spirit of Christmas. Like many of you, our children are grown now, and they have families of their own, Christmas is not the same around our house. And the change has affected our experience of Christmas. And it's left us wondering at times, what is this thing of Christmas all about? So my message this morning is entitled, The True Spirit of Christmas. A subtitle might be, What I Learned About Christmas that gives me hope for the new year. And I believe that as I look at this thing called the Christmas spirit, that I see three levels of understanding. The first level is what I would call the secular. It's the, it's the fun that comes with the parties and the dinners and the musicals and the decorating and the shopping. Now, there's nothing wrong with this. It's just that there's nothing distinctively Christian about it. But for some folks, they identify the spirit 
of Christmas with this secular perspective. Another level, a deeper level, I think, would be spending time with your family and the ones that you love at this time of year. It's the bond that families enjoy as they celebrate together. And I hope that this was a connection that you have enjoyed this Christmas time. But what I want to speak about this morning is what I call a third level of the Christmas spirit. I believe it's a level that is least understood and the most rare. But if we're going to have something to take away from Christmas, if we're going to have something that will be meaningful for the new year, I suggest that we're going to have to discover what is the true spirit of Christmas. This, Christ, this Christmas spirit, I believe, is the spirit that is given to us by Jesus Christ himself. And it's found right here in Philippians 2. Where Paul says, let this mind be in you. This is not a suggestion. It's not an option. It's not a piece of good advice. It's an imperative. We are called to understand the attitude that Jesus himself embraced when he came into the world. And we are called to make that attitude our own. And what is this attitude that defines the true spirit of Christmas? I believe it is the mindset and the attitude of humility. It is this attitude of the humility of Christ that alone can explain why he came into the world. And today I want us to see three things from this passage that will help us to understand the true spirit of Christmas. First of all, we must, as Paul informs us, know that Jesus Christ is the very nature God. Verse 6 says, who being in the very nature God. Now, this is so important in a day in which there is so much confusion about who Jesus is. And yet we find throughout the Bible there is a clear message. That Jesus is the eternal Son of God. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And through him, all things were made. And without him, nothing was made that was made. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The writer to the Hebrews picks up the same theme. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. 
The sun is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by the power of his word. Jesus lived in eternity with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. And he was privy to all of the benefits of that position. Jesus was not only the very nature of God, but we go on to see that Jesus took the very form of a servant. And here we have something that is totally unprecedented in human history. For you see, the fact is not that he came into this, just the fact that he came into this dark and hostile world. It's not just the fact that he left the glory and environment of heaven. But the story becomes more unbelievable and more strange in that in becoming a baby, he took the very form of a lowly servant. And I believe this is the key to understand why the people of Jesus' day could never figure out who he was. It was almost as if the people of Jesus' day were saying to him, you can be a king and you can be a messiah. You can be the one who sits on the throne of your father, David, and rules with righteousness and justice. Or you can be a servant. You can spend your time at the beck and call of others. You can surrender your rights and prerogatives to serve others. You can do one or you can do the other. But you cannot do both. In the mind of the world, these two will never go together. And I believe that this is the miracle and the mystery of Jesus' coming. He came into this dark world. He took the form of a servant. He gave up the comforts. He gave up his rights. And eventually, eventually, at the Garden of Gethsemane, he surrendered also his will. As he prayed to the Father, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but thine be done. He did not use his equality with God as something to be grasped, something to be held on to something to be used for his own advantage. Jesus was not a grabber, but verse 8 says, being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself. And I submit that the humility of Christ in giving up his rights and prerogatives as God is the true spirit of Christmas. This humility of Christ in becoming a servant has one more twist, and that's found in verse 8. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even the death of the cross. <clears throat> you see, humility is a true spirit of Christmas because it was the grace that 
led Jesus to pay the highest sacrifice for our redemption. For without the humility of Christ, there would have been no Christmas. There would be no forgiveness. There would be no redemption. And so thus is born the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. We are needy, helpless, sinful orphans born into a fallen world of darkness and death. But God, out of his boundless love, has come to us and he's made us sons and daughters of God. And all of this by the sacrifice of Christ. Thirdly, I'd like to say that in order to understand the true spirit of Christmas, we too are called to embrace that same humility. Verse 5 says, let this mind also be in you. C.S. Lewis said that pride is our greatest enemy and humility is our greatest need. And it is here that the true spirit of Christmas stands in such stark contrast to the spirit of the world. The world says, grab all you can. The world says, don't let anybody get the best of you. Stand up for your rights. Demand respect. <clears throat> Climb the ladder of success regardless of who you have to trample over to get there. You deserve only the best. You can be anything that you want to do. You're the captain of your own ship. Does that sound familiar? These are the mantras of the American dream. But Jesus calls us to something different. And so I want to ask this morning, what, is it, what does it mean for us to have this attitude of humility? Now, brothers and sisters, I see a lot of people in my office I minister to a lot of hurting families and marriages that are on the rocks. And I can tell you, even if it weren't in the Bible, which it is, that humility is the number one factor, the number one factor that determines healthy relationships. You see, humility exposes our pride that makes us think that we're always right. Humility makes us good listeners. It allows us to lay down our defenses and see the good in what someone else is saying. There are times that I have couples come into my office who are so upset and angry with each other that they can't even talk in a civil manner. And one of the approaches that I have been known to use in such a situation is to say something like this. You know, you're doing a great job of arguing. I have a suggestion. I want you to keep it up. 
I want you to keep arguing, but only with one change. I want each one of you to argue the other's position. You think, what? (laughs) You got to be kidding. No. I want you to argue, but argue the other person's position. And invariably, they have a difficult time doing this. Why? Because they haven't really heard the other person's position. They're so caught up, they're so caught up with being right that they've never even considered the other person's ideas. And so who can tell the number of families that have been torn apart because no one will listen and consider the possibility that he or she may be wrong How many churches have lost their influence and their witness by engaging in power games that turn into wars over who's right and who's wrong? Humility helps us to turn loose of our bitterness and our anger that make it impossible to love and forgive one another. You see, when I'm hurt, I want to fight back. When someone has injured me, I want to make that right wrong. I want to balance the scales. Excuse me. Well, is that what Christ did? Did he return evil for evil? Did he swell up with bitterness because he was mistreated and misunderstood? Did he call down the angels to rescue him from the cross when he had been unjustly nailed and condemned? He could have. Why did he humble himself like this? Because he loves us. It was the only way that he could carry out the will of the Father and be the Savior of the world. You see, humility fosters healthy relationships also because it helps us to set aside our critical spirit that lies at the core of our judgmentalism and our gossip. It helps us to tame our tongues and withhold judgment until all the facts are in. You see, you can recognize humility because it always protects the person by giving that person the benefit of the doubt. And it guards another person's reputation even when that person has done something wrong. It tries to deal with that sin or that wrong by keeping it as confidential as possible and not exposing someone to needless embarrassment or shame. It puts the lid on slanderous words that promote division and disunity in the body of Christ. And I believe this is not just a problem for some of us. It's something that we all must consider because it's so counter to our nature to refrain from lashing out when we've been hurt. Well, humility is not only the number one factor in determining healthy relationships, but humility has an impact on our relationship with God. Humility makes it possible for us to come to Christ. The Bible teaches 
that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Without humility, we are engulfed in a sea of self-righteousness that makes it impossible for us to understand grace. It hardens our heart to the point where we do not even see our need for God. We all like to think that we're okay, that all we need is a little tweaking here and there, and we're going to be okay. <clears throat> but what does God say? He says, all of your righteousness in my eyes are as filthy rags. And folks, we have to confess this. We have to understand this before we can even come to Christ. We must know that we have no righteousness upon which to stand before God. And so when we come to the end of ourselves, and when we embrace humility, the floodgates of God's grace are opened up to us. For Jesus, his humility led to unimaginable blessings. Listen to verses 9 through 12 that I didn't read. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because of his emptying of himself, he is given a place of exalted glory at the right hand of God and a name that's above every name. Humility also puts us in a position where we are able to receive the blessings of God. And what is that blessing? God has come to set you free. He has come to set me free. Free from what? Free from condemnation. As Paul said in Romans 5, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ. Do you know what that means? It means that God is not angry with you. It means that God is not angry with me. For as Jesus said in John 8, if the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And brothers and sisters, this changes everything. It sets me free. I'm no longer bound to a God who is angry and impossible to please. Now I'm a son. Where I was once a foreigner and a stranger in my relationship to him, I am now a member of the family of God. And so John could say in 1 John 3, Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. In a room in a convent, uh, there was a large basket of apples. And there was a sign under these apples that said, Take only one. God is watching. <laughs> On the other side of the room, 
was a big plate of chocolate chip cookies. And written in a, in a child's handwriting said, take all the cookies you want. God's watching the apples. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, the truth is that God is inviting you to enjoy all of the freedom and the benefits that his grace offers to you. He is a God of <clears throat> limitless resources. And he's a God whose heart is open to the humble. And brothers and sisters, that's the attitude that I want for 2015. And I pray that for you as well. Let us pray. We do thank you, God, for uh, the special way that you open your hearts to those who are humble. We thank you for the humility of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich for our sakes, he became poor. Lord, teach us how to embrace that mindset of Christ, who being in the very nature of God took the form of a servant and emptied himself for our redemption. We ask, Lord, that you would grant us this grace that 2015 we could learn the grace of humility. We pray in Jesus' name. My name is Richard Gibbons. I'm one of the pastors here at First Presbyterian. If you are wondering what First Presbyterian Church is like, one of the things you will discover is that each time you come, you will receive a very warm welcome. I have the pleasure of assisting with a number of ministries here at this church. I teach five new member classes a year. Also help to lead mission trips to the Dominican Republic. And uh, we at this church do a number of things that impact our community. It's a wonderful place to serve. It's a wonderful place to belong. My main responsibilities include family ministries, which is marriage, men's ministry, and young adults. I also have the joy of serving the night worship service. My passion here at the church is to point others to the love and grace found in Jesus Christ. My particular job is in education, uh, whether it's adult education or youth or children. I have something to do with it uh, and would love to talk with you at any time about the things that you can learn from the Bible in our education courses here at First Presbyterian Church. Congregational care covers a lot of ground in a, a church like ours. Essentially, we believe that uh, the mission of the church is to care for one another uh, as well as to outreach in the community. So our desire is to provide for the spiritual, emotional, and physical care of the members of our congregation and extend that also to the needs of our community. I'm Tina Jones. I'm the director of the children's ministry here at First Presbyterian. Scripture says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. We have a very vibrant children's ministry. When you come on a Sunday morning, your children have not just childcare, we also offer ministry. One of the amazing things about First Presbyterian is our location. 
We are situated at the heart of Greenville, a growing and vibrant city. Everything from children's ministry and youth ministry to a prayer ministry and being very active in the community gives us an opportunity to spread and share the love of Christ. If you are looking for a Sunday morning experience that is engaging, vibrant and life transforming, please come and join us.